Okay, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited about what God is doing in our world, and I get to tell the story, so that's exciting. But just a little bit more about us. Um, I'm married to Tiana, and um, she right now is in Eugene, Oregon, with uh, three of my girls. We have four girls, and they are uh, interesting. They're great. No. Uh, it's amazing uh, how children uh, can have the same <laughs> parents, like the half and half, like we heard this morning. Yeah. But uh, they are very different, and uh, it's, it keeps it quite interesting. So um, we live in Budapest, Hungary, and our role, as your pastor said, we are the uh, field strategy coordinators for the Central Europe field, which means we oversee and help resource and develop the growth and development of the church in 11 countries in Central Europe. So we have a small and developing, uh, growing presence in, in those countries. I will name them for you quickly. Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway, uh, Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, Croatia, Co Kosovo. Uh, I think that's it. That's it. So, so today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, Nazarene, small Nazarene works that are meeting, that already have met, and uh, uh, in, in those 11 countries. So we're excited about that. And I can announce today that um, in the next 12 to 15 months, we plan to, to uh, start in the country of Serbia. Uh, we have a young couple coming actually in January of this next year, and we'll put another team around them. And then um, we're planning on opening the work in Bosnia. So uh, please pray for Serbia and Bosnia. That will be a, a quite a challenge to us. So we've uh, been pretty busy uh, doing work in, in the Central Europe field. We do things like youth ministry. We have a big youth emphasis next summer. We're taking the youth of our field and um, making teams of youth to serve in other places, in other places on the field from where they're from. And we're asking them to ask the question, is God calling me, right? We want to answer that question for them, actually. Yes, God is calling you. And so uh, please pray for that. That will be next summer. We, are, um, we have a, a church development initiative called the Flourishing Church. Isn't it great to be a part of a flourishing church? Amen. So we have discussions with, uh, with our churches in all of these countries. What does it mean for you in the place where you are to be a flourishing church? And how can we grow? And how can God help us become part of that? And then another thing that we've put a lot of time in in the last few years is uh, uh, transforming the way we train ministers, our ministerial preparation program. Uh, we've reformed that, and uh, we have about twice as many people in that program as four years ago, three or four years ago, so we're excited about what God is doing. But as your pastor, Craig, uh, mentioned, I'd like to talk to you about refugees today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and that can be controversial, and um, I'm not here to argue with you or try to change your mind from, your, from the left or, or right-leaning news sources that you get. I'm not here to change that at all. I'm here to talk about what God is doing in the world. And I'm here to talk about um, what we've been a part of and what we've seen with our own eyes and participated in. So um, what I want you to hear today is this, in a nutshell, right here. Don't miss this. God is doing something big in our world. Do you believe that? 
I believe when historians and church historians look back on these days in the future, when they look back on these days, they will not record these days as just regular days in history. But there are some big things that are happening right now that will alter the course of certainly the church and, and also of, of history as well. And they're happening right now. And we can be a part of that. Amen? I'm here today, first of all, to say thank you for your support of missions. Um, the World Evangelism Fund, which you give through your Faith Promise Pledge, is literally our financial backbone. We cannot survive and continue if uh, those offerings go down. We need you to continue to be faithful to that. So please consider your, when your faith promise comes, that makes it possible for the things that I will talk about uh, here in a little bit. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. God is doing something big in the world. Do you believe that? You believe that? Okay, I'm going to try to give you some evidence. And in fact, God has been doing some great things in the world, big things. How many of you remember praying for the former Soviet Union? Did you pray for the former Soviet Union? Yeah? You remember, um, of course, there's a communist go a government that's anti-church, it's anti-Christian, tried to stamp out the effect of the church in Russia and, and in Eastern Europe. And so the church prayed. One or two generations of people didn't really have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, so the church prayed. And God tore down a wall that nobody anticipated and made it possible for missionaries to go into Russia and all parts of uh, Eastern Europe. Our first mission assignment was pastor of Moscow First Church, literally, Mass First Church. So we were a part of that answer to prayer. God, you prayed, and God answered your prayers. He did something big. There's a lot of work, of course, that needs to be done in the former Soviet Union still, so keep praying for that. But now missionaries can go in there and people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Question number two. How many of you prayed for China? Remember praying for China? In a similar situation, a government that, that, that uh, oppressed freedom of religion, freedom of, uh, uh, of, yeah, oppressed people so they couldn't hear about Jesus. So you and the church prayed, and God has done something great. Have you heard what's happening what's in China? I saw on Facebook, so you got to believe it, right? It's on Facebook. Uh, it's, it's true. No, it was, a, it was a Christianity Today article that was referenced on Facebook, so maybe that re redeems it a little bit. So, A couple of years ago, um, a statistic which just floored me. Um, that author made the statement that there are more, today, there are more Christians in China than there are people who attend church in the United States on a Sunday. Did you hear that? God is doing something big. You prayed, and God responded. These house churches are, are popping up all over China. Some are underground, some are a little above ground, whatever. But a whole movement across, across the country, and millions of people are coming to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? God is doing something big in our world today. Question number three, and this is where it gets a little dicey. Sorry. How many of you have heard of the phrase and have prayed for the 1040 window? 1040 window, okay. That really is, it describes a geographic area of the world that confines or, or uh, it's where Islam is strong. 
And again, the church prayed. Here's another area of the world that people don't seem to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus freely. There's a lot of roadblocks, a lot of of suppression there. So you again, the church prayed. Make it possible for people to hear about Jesus. And I'm here today to tell you, to make a declaration, God is beginning to answer that prayer as well. Isn't that exciting? But... But, you know, God is creative, right? And God doesn't consult us when he answers our prayers. He doesn't ask us, how would be the best way for me to answer that prayer that you would be most happy with, right? Has God done that to you? If he ha- let me, I'd like to talk to you if he's done that, but uh, he doesn't do that. In his sovereignty and his knowledge and his love, He answers our prayers, but sometimes it's quite a bit differently than what we had hoped for, right? Brothers and sisters, God is answering your prayer for the 1040 window. But what if he is doing that in a different way than he did for Russia by tearing down a wall and missionaries could go in there? What if he's doing that a different way than he did for China by this kind of organic house church movement all over the country? Millions are coming to Christ. What if instead, the way that God is answering your prayers for the 1040 window is that he's bringing the Muslim world to us? What about that? How do you feel about that? God is bringing the Muslim world to us. Are you ready? What differences will that make for us as a church? And what will that mean? But for the first time in their lives, millions of people are flooding out of the Middle East, out of the oppression, out of the confines of Islam, all out of the families and uh, uh, clan pressure that, that makes it so difficult for them to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now millions of people are out from under all of that and have the opportunity to meet and receive Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. He's answering your prayers. He's doing it a different way. And maybe it's not the way that makes us most comfortable. I was, uh, as a field strategy coordinator in, in the Eurasia region for the Church of the Nazarene, it's broken up into seven fields, right? I'm the coordinator for one of the fields. We have meetings every spring, all seven of the leaders. We have meetings and we rotate who hosts the meetings so that we can get to see different parts of the region, and it's, it's fun. It's exciting. Three years ago, the meeting was in Amman, Jordan. Anybody ever been to Amman, Jordan here? Okay, yeah, yeah. Interesting place, huh? Interesting place. Um, so I thought I was excited. Probably the food's going to be great, so I'll, I'm ready for that, so that'll be good. So uh, we, we got there on a Friday evening, and um, my colleague who is, does my job for the Middle East, and he's also the pastor of a, of a large church there. He met us and invited us to the refugee ministry the next morning, Saturday morning. So we got up and met him at the church. We were in the lobby of the church, kind of back there. And uh, he met us in the lobby, and he said, Guys, welcome. We're excited about what you're going to see today. Thanks for encouraging us by coming. And he said, um, I just want you to know a few things, okay? First of all... Um, 
there won't be any seats for you in the church today. It's a church of about 350, a sanctuary of about 350. There won't be any seats for you today in the church. Sorry about that. You can stand in the back wall, maybe, or you might have to stand in, in the uh, lobby. I'm thinking, you know, it's our meeting. You've got to prepare for I mean, it's our meeting. You know, come on, take care of your get. Oh, well, whatever. So, uh, guys, there won't be any place. And it's Women and Children Day today, so uh, we need someone to speak to the people today. It's 15 minutes later. Tiana, will you speak to them? And my wife, Tiana, had about 15 minutes to think of a message to speak to these people. And then they opened the doors of the church. And you have to walk upstairs into the lobby and go through the lobby into the sanctuary. And just as he said, women and children, it's Women and Children Day, women and children came by us, went into the church, the sanctuary, and just, just as he said, every single seat was filled and people were standing around as well. We did get into the back of the sanctuary along the back of the wall, but it was women and children Women in hijabs, black robes with just slits, and many children. Some men were outside that waited for them outside because it was Women and Children Day. And uh, the whole church, the whole sanctuary was completely filled with women in hijabs and children. And then my wife, Tiana, who is the best speaker in the family, sorry, um, uh, she went up to the front and gave a nice message, just a simple message of encouragement. Fifteen minutes, not very long, something like that. And uh, afterwards, about 20 ladies surrounded her and with their hijabs on, hugging her, kissing her. Shukran. Shukran. Thank you. Thank you. Kissing her through their hijab. So... After the service, I said to my colleague, he's a good, good man, man, you've got to help me understand what I'm seeing here. I, I don't get it. Help me figure out what my eyes are seeing because it's different than what I think of, what I expect, or I, I just need help. And he said, Brother Jay, uh, let me tell you a few things. I said, well, I need a lot of, I need people to tell me things, so... Um, he said, first of all, you need to know as a Christian church here in this country, there's danger for us. So we have to be careful about what we do. But you also need to know that um, these are some of the greatest days we've ever experienced. Churches are full. In, um, in a normal year, we pray for our neighbors and we hope that they come to know Jesus Christ. If one or two come, we celebrate that. But now our sanctuaries are full. And we do meetings with different people five times a week. Five times a week. He said, listen to this. These are the greatest days the church has experienced in the last 1,300 years. Basically, he's saying this is the greatest opportunity we've ever had. Danger but also a great opportunity to connect with our brothers and sisters of another faith, show them the love of Jesus, and have an opportunity then for, to see Jesus and do what they can re accept or reject. These are the greatest days. Brothers and sisters, God is doing something big in our world today. It's an answer to your prayers. 
because you have prayed for the 1040 window that people would just have an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. So um, we live in Central Europe, which is kind of the, uh, the area of, that's right in between the area where the people have come from in the Middle East and to where they want to go, Northern Europe. So they're literally walking through our lands uh, to get to, to where they, they hope to go in Northern Europe. 1.5 million people walked through us uh, uh, from August of 2015 to uh, March of 2016. Thousands and thousands of people every day would come to dif the different uh, uh, stopping points and get medical care, get food. Six or seven thousand a day, and then they'd get on a train, and then next day, eight thousand, the next day, thirteen thousand, the next day, four thousand. Every day, new people in need. And that happened for about six months. 1.5 million people, or a little bit more, actually. What do you do? What do you do? Then in March of 2016, the European Union made a deal with uh, Turkey that kind of stopped the flow, the, the massive flow of people. There's still a small trickle of people, but certainly not anything like it was. And uh, that also effectually closed the borders from every country in Europe, from Greece to Germany, about six countries along the way, six or seven depending on which way you go. So now there are literally thousands of people trapped in each of those countries. They can't go forward because the uh, borders are closed. They'll try through smugglers, but most of the time they get caught and brought right back. And they don't want to go back. So we organized uh, teams of people that go uh, into where the refugees are. You know, if you're a refugee and maybe you're filing for asylum in that country, uh, you're bored. You know, you're just sitting there waiting. You don't have a job. You're just sitting there waiting. So we organize teams of people that will do various ministries for the people, uh, the refugees. Craft nights, movie nights, teach them English. And, of course, we also have Bible study nights that we invite that they're, they're able to come to. Um, so we had this man come in to one of our meetings. I wasn't there, but uh, one of our groups that lead the meetings. A room of about 40 people, 30 to 40 people, he came and sat in the back, and uh, the rest of the people were pretty uh, frightened by this man. They lived in the same complex as, and they, as he did, and they said, you know, this is not a good man. We need to be very careful. But he kept coming. He kept coming. Eventually, he made it known that he wanted to talk to our leader. He didn't know the right word, pastor. And he wanted to talk to our leader about... Uh, the people of the book and the God of love. In fact, he had 27 questions that he wanted to ask that he had already prepared. Church, what do we do when people that we're afraid of begin to attend our church? What do we do when someone who act, we think may want harm begins to attend our church or our group? What do we do? Well, it's not the first time, right? Remember uh, Acts chapter 9? Uh, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You remember that? Saul dedicated his life to find uh, those uh, Christians, gather them up, bring them back to Jerusalem to try to give them hard time, put them in jail, or maybe do worse things for them. He was zealous to accomplish that goal, right? Could we call Saul the first terrorist against the church? He was doing terrorist activities, certainly. 
But then you know the story in Acts chapter 9 on the, way to, on the road to Damascus. And by the way, where is Damascus? What country is Damascus in? Syria. That's the same country where many of these refugees are coming from. But on those roads to Damascus, Saul was on, there, on his way to Damascus to round up a group of Christians. And he met Jesus Christ. Had a vision of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, listen to this. One interaction with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, transformed the greatest persecutor of the church into the greatest missionary the church had ever known. Can you see the power that Jesus has to transform a person's life? One interaction with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, transformed the guy that was rounding up people to bring back to Jerusalem to to, uh, stamp them out. He became the one that God pointed out, pointed to later in Acts chapter 9 and said, this is the one that I have chosen to become the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that awesome? Brothers and sisters, if you are not Jewish today, if you're not Jewish, this is the guy that God said, I want this person to open the work among those that are not Jewish so that their families can know Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? He was a terrorist. But he met Jesus Christ, and he was transformed, and his life completely changed. He wrote half of our New Testament. If you like the New Testament, it was written by Saul. And, of course, his name was changed to Paul, right? So um, the guy that came into our room, uh, his name happened to be Muhammad. There's a lot of people, Muslim people named Muhammad. And uh, our pastor began to meet with him and uh, answer those 27 questions about the people of the book and the God of love. And uh, a couple of months went by, and Muhammad gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. He was baptized in the Christian faith. And um, Tiana and I, my wife and I, were in that country um, to organize a, a, that congregation into an official Nazarene congregation. Uh, that was in May of uh, 2017, I believe. And um, at the end of the ceremony, the service was really nice. Muhammad stood up in the back, and he said, I have a letter that I've written that I want to read to the church. Do you know anyone else who writes letters to the church? Do you know anybody? Have you heard anybody write letters to the church? So he read the letter, and he wanted to thank the church for how they had ministered to him, the importance of uh, emphasizing the God of love, the love, the God who loves, how important that was. And he wanted to encourage the church to continue working among the refugees. He thought it was very important. And he sat down. Brothers and sisters, you know, uh, sometimes, oftentimes, when Muslim people become Christian, they change their name. Can anybody guess what Muhammad's name is now? Paul. Isn't that awesome? We are witnessing the reoccurring of Acts chapter 9. Isn't that awesome? So, brothers and sisters, my plea to you is, you know, you will hear a lot of things in the press. I'm not talking about refugees here, migrants here. I'm talking about what I've seen and known. Um, When you hear about them, don't pray for their destruction. Pray that they'll see Jesus Christ. Even if they're terrorists, even if they're bad people, Jesus Christ can transform them. He can transform their life. What would it happen in our world today 
if there were a couple more Saul's who became Paul's or Mohammed's who came Paul's, right? Let's pray for those people that, that they will see dreams and visions of Jesus Christ or they will have an interaction with the church and the body of Jesus Christ and that, that interaction with Jesus Christ gives them an opportunity to receive Jesus and be completely transformed. Will you pray with me for that?